Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning. Hey, wasn't awesome? Wasn't that an awesome video? And uh, you know, while we thank Gary for his service, we're in the midst of this sermon series about being present, investing in people's lives. So I'd be remiss if I didn't call Kenny. Would you just raise your hand? There's Kenny Madden. He's the one that flew up there with Gary. <clears throat> thank you, brother. Thanks for modeling that. It means a lot. So I want to welcome all of you who are here in this room, everybody who's watching online as well. And we are in the midst of this series that we started last week. And Last week, just to give you a little bit of a review, we talked about the fact that Jesus said the greatest commandment of all is simply to love, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so what I did is I walked through a whole bunch of Bible verses that show us that loving other people means being present relationally with them. And then I talked about the fact that in our culture today, we struggle with truly being present. Like we can be present with somebody. We're in the physical locale where they're at, but maybe our hearts aren't there. Maybe our minds are somewhere else. And I said, one of the primary reasons we struggle with this is the fact that we are so often distracted in life. So many distractions. We're distracted by our possessions, our toys. We're distracted by the next item on our to-do list, distracted by our hobbies, the media, technology. And we talk particularly about this little thing right here, our phones, electronic devices. And the bottom line is this. Our distractions are killing us with regards to our ability to be relationally present with people. And when we're not relationally present with people, it kills our joy in life. And so here's the key concept I tossed out last week. Presence influences joy and happiness in life. Presence influences joy and happiness. And so we talked about all this last week, and I went after our tendency to be consumed by our phones, our laptops, social media, and so forth. But I ended by saying that I really don't think our key problem is simply a technology problem. I think the whole thing is a relational issue. Because we don't know how to show control and self-restraint, smartphones are making us dumb with people, right? Yeah, smartphones are starting to make us dumb with people. That's what's happening. And so as individuals who are designed by God to be relational beings, we have got to get better at this. And I ended last week with this question, how do we become countercultural? How do we push back? How do we become countercultural so that we are really present when we're with people? How do we become countercultural so that we can increase the joy, the happiness of those around us? How do we become countercultural and put people first before glancing at our text or an incoming notification or a social media app? Like, how do we do that when there's no Bible verse that says, Thou shalt limit thy phone use? Right? Well, there is a Bible verse. I think it's pertinent to this. It's Romans 12, 2. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't conform to what everybody around you is doing. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So how do we do that? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I want to begin by looking to Jesus because he has something to teach us. And as I read this text, I think for many of you, you're going to see the connection right away. And for the rest of you, you'll pick it up pretty quickly. 
in Luke 2, starting in verse 41, says this. It says, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, now I want you to think about that. Jesus is 12 years old. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first, which I love that, okay? I don't know why. Apparently, helicopter parenting was not a thing back then. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among other travelers, but when he didn't show up that evening... They started looking for him among the relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, three days later, they finally discovered him. And he's in the temple sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. That's key. We're going to come back to that. It says, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. And Jesus said, why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? It says they didn't understand what he meant. Okay, we won't even address the parenting issues at play here, okay? Let's just say that in our culture today, they definitely would not win attentive parent of the year awards. But, but have you ever thought about how difficult it might be to be Jesus' parents? Like, you would be like, oh, Jesus, you think you know it all, don't you? Oh, yeah, Dad, I, I do, actually, you know. The, the, the dynamics there has got to be tricky. No wonder it says they didn't understand what he meant. How often must that have happened? Like, I don't know what this guy's doing. Anyway, let me give you the context here. They're traveling from Nazareth to Jerusalem for the annual Passover festival, which, by the way, every Jewish male was required to go to. And it took about five days. And when they finally find him, here's the interesting thing I want us to pay attention to. What was Jesus doing? Think about this. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was listening, and he was asking questions. Listening and asking questions. See, he was present, right? He was in the moment. He was engaging with people. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that this is a reoccurring theme with Jesus. For Jesus, people were priorities. And listening is one of the ways that we make people a priority. Like not listening and, and, and looking like this, right? Not listening and scrolling, you know, not, not listening and wondering what that new notification is over here. Listening is the language of love because listening validates people as valuable. Listening validates people as valuable. That's why people are happier when we're truly present in their presence, because then we're making them feel valuable. And here's the bottom line. I am not loving you in my presence if I'm distracted with this. Like, I'm not bringing about happiness in your world if I'm constantly doing this. Now, for some reason in our culture today, and I don't think we can blame anybody for this, but we've been conditioned by our culture that whenever this thing rings or buzzes or vibrates, it's like we're obligated by law to give it our attention, right? And so now we have more reason than ever just to be obnoxious with people because it's on a device that's with us all the time. Maybe it's a phone, maybe it's a watch, but we're buzzing and beeping and buzzing and beeping all the time. 
I was thinking about this. Pavlov would have a great time with us, this whole classical conditioning thing, right? And we look down, right? Vibrates, it rings. You know, here's, here's a takeaway for you. Checking your phone is like picking your nose, okay? I got something good here. Checking your phone is like picking your nose. There's nothing wrong with it, but no one should have to watch you do it, okay? Yeah, that'll stick with you. But anyhow, all right. <clears throat> yes, it will. <laughs> Diane said, with dejected. Okay, so here's, here's the crazy thing, though. I, I've been thinking so much about this little guy. Um, we are putting value on that which is unknown. You ever thought about that? Like, we don't know what that text is when that thing buzzes. We don't know what the notification is. And yet we're placing a higher value on that which is unknown when the known is right there in our presence. Are you with me? And, and you see this everywhere you go now. It's not just at restaurants anymore. But fortunately, there's starting to be some cultural resistance to this. There's a term for it, by the way. It's called fubbing. All right. And fubbing is a combination of phone plus snubbing. All right. Fubbing. It's a true term. It's, it's really out there. Okay. A person is fubbing you if you're with them in a social setting and they're paying attention to this rather than paying attention to you. So now there are actually restaurants that have signs like this, say no to fubbing, okay? You might make that the sign for your life, say no to fubbing. 20 years ago, it was what? Say no to drugs. Yeah, now drugs are fine, apparently, but now, now it's say no to fubbing. And by the way, I'm guilty of this as well, okay? I, I'm not, you know, we're all in this together. We're a work in progress. But I would tell you that 99% of the texts that come in, 99% of our social media notifications, whatever they may be, they can wait until you're no longer in the presence of that individual. See, I think for those of us who are followers of Jesus, who value people, the anticipation of what could be is not more important than the person in front of you who is. Let me say that again. The anticipation of what could be is not more important than that person right in front of you who is. You know, Jesus modeled this for us. It was a story many of you know. It was a conversation with Martha and her sister Mary. They're in a house. Martha's busy, distracted, cooking, getting things ready, and Mary is sitting and listening to Jesus. And so Martha complains to Jesus about this in Luke 10, but Jesus says, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary's discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. See what's happening there? Jesus is making a statement of value, a statement of priority. Martha, what's on the stove is not more important than who is in the house. Now, we could say it this way today. What's in your purse, what's in your pocket is not more important than who is in your presence. Now, earlier we said Jesus was listening, but what else was he doing? Jesus was asking questions. Now, I thought about that this past week. Why was Jesus asking questions? Track with me here. He didn't have to ask people questions. He was the God-man. Okay? He already knew the answers. The Bible says in John 2, no one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. Now, Jesus obviously understood that asking questions communicates concern. Right? When you ask a person a question, you're engaging their heart because there's always something deeper, something more meaningful going on beneath the surface. 
So asking questions is a way to love people, to discover what's going on inside of them. And I've observed with people that most people like to talk. And if you ask them questions, most people like to talk about themselves. That's their favorite subject. But I've also learned that most people are not very good at asking questions. In fact, I would say that one of the reasons so many people have average or below average marriages is because they've stopped engaging their spouse's hearts with questions, like real questions other than, well, what did you do today? I don't know, what, what did you do today? Now, if you're married, your spouse always has new desires, new goals, new fears, new hopes, new dreams, and your job is to uncover them as opposed to assume them. Parents, your kids are changing all the time. I mean, there's new stuff going on in their life each and every day. And one of the ways you become present with them is by engaging them with questions. Your interest in them, that is a form of presence. And not just, you know, you're physically present like you're somewhere in the house with them. No, it's being free of distractions. I tell parents this all the time. You have 936 weeks. 936 weeks from the time your child is born until they graduate from high school. And those of you on the other end of things, you know how quickly that goes. So moments matter, and presence in those moments matters. Remember I said earlier when Jesus showed up, and he was in the temple, and then the parents are looking for him, and parents say, what's going on? Jesus said this, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? And they didn't understand what he was talking about. Well, I like the New King James Version here. Listen to what it says. Jesus said, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? I got to be about my father's business. See, here's the key. I think listening and asking questions is our father's business. Treating people with value, bringing out the joy in others, that is our father's business. And I'm just curious, how many of you would like to get better at being present? Let me see you. Raise your hand. Say, raise them up high. Okay, how many of you came in here with somebody who definitely needs to get better at that? <laughs> Okay, some of you are smart. You're not raising your hands, okay? <laughs> Rather than raise your hand, let me, let me just tell you some practical ways here. We're going to end with some practical suggestions how to be better at being present. All right, first of all, evaluate your why. This is an important one, but it's going to require you to think a little bit deeper. You know, the why question is this, why do I reach for this all the time? You need to ask that question, like why? Why, when I'm with somebody, am I so attracted to this? Why do I get into that black hole of looping? You know what the black hole of looping is? It's when you check email, when you check Twitter, and Instagram, stories, Facebook, Snapchat, and then you repeat, right? You're back to email, Twitter. You just keep looping. Like, why? There's all sorts of answers. Sometimes people say, I'm just bored. Or, you know, I like fun little distractions. And this thing offers a lot of fun distractions, no doubt about it. Those are all possibilities, but here's the truth about our culture today. Most of us don't like to be still. I think that's part of us, part of what's going on inside of us. Most of us don't like to be quiet because stillness, we kind of say that's synonymous with boredom, and phones are excellent at keeping us from our thoughts, so I don't have to think, I don't have to reflect, don't have to meditate, don't have to pray, don't have to wonder, don't have to question, because it's all right here at my fingertips. But I think there's a very convicting passage for those of us who want to do life with God. Some of you know this. It's Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I'm God. 
You want to know that I am? You want to know my presence? You want to be in my presence? Be still and know that I am God. You see, for a follower of Jesus, stillness is a virtue. Stillness is like food for developing your faith. So figure out the why. Get to the bottom of why are you so distracted by this when you're in the middle of doing something else? Because if you don't get to the why, all of a sudden you wake up and you're just like everybody else in our culture. Okay, second, identify your relational values. Let me tell you what I mean by this. When's the last time that you thought deeply about what kind of spouse do you want to be? What kind of parent do you want to be? What kind of friend do you want to be? What kind of coworker do you want to be? What kind of grandparent do you want to be? Think about that. And then I would actually encourage you to write it down, articulate that, because that's your relational legacy. What kind of relational legacy do you want to leave? Not just a legacy, but a relational legacy. Because your work is not your legacy. Let me say that again, especially for the guys here. Your work is not your legacy. Like, I don't want to be remembered for my work, even as a pastor. Because I've known plenty of pastors who have done loads of ministry, but they have not loved well. And Jesus said the greatest commandment is love. Love God. Love people. That's the measure of everything. Love God and love people. So as I thought about this, as I jotted this down, my relational legacy is I want to love well. I want to love my wife, Wendy, well. I want to love my boys well. I want to love my daughter-in-laws well. I want to love my granddaughter well. I want to love my friends well. I want to love my spiritual family here in the church well. But if you don't have your relational values set properly, that's going to affect how you spend your time. And then that's going to affect basically how you spend your life because your time is your life. But if you do have your relational values set well, then all of a sudden you see, you know, I can't justify spending the average adult four hours a day on this device. Do you realize that? That's the average adult in America, four hours a day on this device. While at the same time, spending the adult average four to eight minutes a day in a significant conversation with a spouse or a child. See how something's amiss there? I mean, some of us are giving way too much of our time to what I would call lifeless values. My fear is because of this, we can connect to the entire world while our entire world is right in front of us and we're missing it. So you got to identify your relational values. All right, third, write this down. Power down occasionally. You know, I wanted to say power down regularly, but I thought, nope, that's too advanced, okay? Some of you might revolt. Oh, no, I'd rather tithe more, anything but that, okay? So I know you won't do that, so I'll just go with power down occasionally, okay? It's, it's okay. You can do this, and you'll still survive. Like, it has an off button. You can do that. The American Psychological Stress Report, that's an interesting one, right? They do surveys of how Americans are living and dealing with stress, and listen to what they said. 75%, 75% of American adults agree that periodically unplugging or taking a digital detox would be good for their mental health. Okay, 75% of people acknowledge this, but then it says, yet less than 25% have actually ever done so. You know, the mental health world has actually identified a new phobia or fear. It's called nomophobia, right? Nomophobia stands for no mobile phone phobia. And some of you think I'm making that up. I am not, okay? Nomophobia is real, and studies show that 50% of Americans suffer from nomophobia. 
Now just think about that. That means half of you here in this room, you're afraid to go out without your phone connected. Now the rest of us are okay, but you're like psycho, okay? You're really addicted to this, all right? And, and whenever I talk about this, this is something I find so interesting. Adults will gladly admit of this addiction. Like typically you, you don't laugh at addictions. People go, oh yeah, you got me. <laughs> I'm nomophobic. Yeah, sure am. At least I'm not into drugs, right? I'm not into gambling. I'm not into porn, but I do love my phone. And I get it, okay? I love my phone too. But when you power down occasionally, it's good for your mind. It's good for your heart. It's good for your soul. It's good for your faith. And it's great for relationships. Try it. Try it. Now, if you're not a person who powers down on an occasional basis, let me give you some baseline suggestions for this. First of all, how about we start here at church, okay? There is an off button. Can you go uninterrupted for 60 minutes in worship? That's a good starting spot. And then how about when when you have a meal at the dinner table, right? If you're with family, power down. Your friends, power down. When, When you go to bed at night, don't take this into the bedroom. And I know some people are like, oh, no, 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 it's my alarm clock. I've been on Amazon. You can still get alarm clocks for 10 bucks, okay? You don't have to have this. Or power down when you drive, okay? And I'm not talking about like texting and driving. I'm talking about when you're in the car with somebody, power down. You know, some of you ladies, you complain that your husbands won't talk to you, your boyfriend won't talk to you, and yet when you're in the car with them and he's driving, you're texting, you're checking your Facebook posts. Ladies, can I just tell you that that's the actual time when men want to talk with you, okay, while they're driving, because then they don't have to look at you, all right? I know. I'm not trying to be mean. You all look lovely, Okay. It has nothing to do with appearance, okay? It has to do with when we make eye contact with you, we just feel guilty, okay? Sometimes we don't even know what we've done wrong, but, you know, we just start to think. So don't miss that opportunity, ladies. There are actually studies about this. I'm not making this up. It also works with teenagers. We found that growing up. Like, they'll engage with you, but they don't have to look you in the eye, right? You know, here's here's another little aside. I I was thinking about so many things this week. Uh, Just... Think about what we do with our phone on a regular basis. Like, we give our phone attention first thing in the morning, don't we? I mean, for most of us, we do. We, we, we give our, now, imagine in a marriage context if you did that. Like, you give your spouse attention, the attention you give to your phone first thing in the morning. You know, we, we touch our phone a lot, okay? Think marriage, right? Physical touch, that's important. We spend money on our phone. Marriage. We take it to private locations with us, which I know sounds kind of weird, Okay. Not saying you bring your spouse in the bathroom, but you, you get the point, okay? If we loved one another like we love this little thing, it would change things. It really would. If we gave each other the attention we give this phone, it'd make a difference. All right, one final one here. Install speed bumps. Here's what I mean by this. Now, a speed bump, we all know what that is. It's a small obstacle intended to slow us down. And when I need a speed bump is between the impulse and the action. So when the impulse hits me, I need something to slow me down before I take action. So here's an example of a speed bump. You can actually find these on Amazon, okay? It's called a phone jail, right? It's a real thing. I might order one this afternoon. But you can, you can get one for your family, all right? Put it in the kitchen. That can be your family's speed bump. You know, I need a jail for this thing. I need a jail for my phone. You know why? Because it can rob me. Yeah, it can rob me of my presence with people, being present. It can rob me of listening. It can rob me of validating and valuing other people. I know it can rob me, so I need a speed bump. 
Or here's another idea. You might just get a little sticker, put it on the back of your phone, and maybe it just says something like, be present. Right? It reminds you when you grab this thing, be present. You can come up with your own, but create something that blocks you from being distracted when you're with other people. Folks, for relationships to thrive, for people to feel valued, for joy to emerge in a culture where it's missing, presence and attention is vital. Because presence communicates, you matter to me. When I'm really with you and I'm really giving you my wholehearted attention, I'm saying, you matter. And in our culture today, more than ever before, people need to know they matter. So when you give people the gift of your presence, it breathes life into them. And I know it might still be culturally acceptable. It is culturally acceptable to be looking down at this all the time. But can I just remind you that culture is not our model. Jesus is. And Jesus valued people. Jesus listened to people. Jesus validated people. Jesus was always truly present with people. Anybody here want to be more like Jesus? Yeah, yeah I do. So this week, this week, let's be about our Father's business. Jesus, that's our prayer. And it's just mind-boggling to me. It's the first time I've ever thought about this coming from this particular story. Twelve years old, and you were modeling for us exactly how to be present, how to love others. You were listening. You were engaging people's hearts with questions. You were truly present. And clearly, we have so many more distractions than existed 2,000 years ago. And we have got to learn how to push back against culture. We've got to learn how not to get sucked into this. And at times, Lord, I feel like the chief of sinners with this one. So help me, help my brothers and sisters to be freed from this enslavement at times. This addiction that we have to our phones. And to figure out why. Why do I reach for this? What is it that I'm after? And then help us to just find ways to power down, to, to really not allow this to consume us. Especially, Lord, not when we're on our own, but especially when we're with other people. God, that we would give them the gift of our presence. That our hearts would be engaged, our minds would be engaged with them. We would be fully present in people's presence. And Lord, we recognize we, we need your Holy Spirit to be able to do this. We cannot do this on our own. And so I just ask that you would help each and every one of us to evaluate this, to figure out the why, to define our relational values, to power down from time to time, and to install speed bumps, little things that will remind us, hey, don't go there. Lord, we love you and we thank you for giving us this incredible story, this incredible model. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys have a wonderful weekend and model presence with people. Take care.